Well, good morning to you. Glad to see you here and welcome to the harbor. And we've been talking this uh, year about the processes that cause transformation in our lives or metamorphosis, conforming to and becoming like Christ in his character and his priorities and his purpose and his nature, every aspect of the Lord. And we see that uh, from Scripture that involves things like our salvation and justification and adoption and our redemption. We find out by the Spirit of God that there's an impartation that He gives us so we can live this life victoriously. And we've been talking lately about glorification. Now, I want to make sure that everybody in the building understands this principle. When we say glorify in terms of your glorification, we're not talking about you getting praise and somebody lifting you up high. We know who that is reserved for, don't we, church? We magnify the Lord. Say that with me, magnify the Lord. Let us exalt His name together. Glorification refers to the restoration of the glory that was upon the human being before the fall in the garden. The glory of God is His manifest presence and power and goodness. Say that with me, His power, His presence, and His goodness. And we're not talking about just a theological concept here where we know that He is all-powerful, we know that He is present, we know that He is good. We're talking about manifested, where something happens. When you see manifested power, something happens. When you see manifested goodness, God is doing something good for His people. It's tangible. You can see it. You can witness what God has done. How many can say that God has been good to you today? How do you know that? Well, just theologically, no, you know because He has moved in your life. At your worst moment, He was there for you. You thought nobody cared. You found out He did care. At your worst situation, He came through time and time again. That's what we mean by manifested goodness. Well, if you were to look in the garden years ago, you'd have seen Adam and Eve. You would have seen these two balls of light walking around in obedience to God. But when disobedience came, when sin came, the light went out. And they fashioned for themselves fig leaves. And that wasn't suitable for their redemption. So the Lord made skins because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And he covers them with skins. But I want you to hear this well today. It's never been God's idea to stop at the skin. He always longed to put the glory back on his people. Can I tell you something? It's going to happen with you or without you anyway. Amen. But you don't have to wait to get to heaven to experience that glorification process. It won't be completed on earth, but it should be forthgoing. It should be moving forward in your life. Say it with me. He is restoring the glory to his people. Say it again. He's restoring the glory to his people. And so we've been talking about this process of glorification. And last week we got into this concept that we all have these moments in time, these pivotal moments in our lives, where if we make the right choice, we go the right direction, we see an increase in glorification. If we go the wrong way, we see something suspended or not developing the way it should. Naaman's a great example of that, where Naaman decides initially he's not going to do it. He was at a pivotal moment in his life. But how many thank God he chose to listen and obey what God told him to do? And he was healed, he was restored. We think about Matthew and his brother when they were called by Jesus. The Bible says they left their boats or nets and they followed Jesus. He went on to James and John. The Bible says that when they were called, they left their nets and their boats and their father and followed Jesus. That's an example of a pivotal moment where somebody made the right choice and great things happened. You and I have these moments throughout life, throughout our walk with God. And to the extent that we do the thing he wants us to do at that moment, we see an increase in glorification. We're going to see more of His presence, more of His power, and more of His goodness. Not because you earn them, but because He is faithful to honor you when you honor Him. Amen. Are you here today? Yes. 
The Bible is filled with examples of people who didn't do this. The rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10 was given the same opportunity that John and James and Matthew and Andrew were given. They did not have, you know, he didn't have, have the same response as these men did. And when he was called, Jesus said to him, go sell your possessions, give to the poor, and then come follow me. And watch this. The Bible says he went away sad. I can't tell you how many people, how many times I've seen emotion take people out of God's best. How many times their emotion ran their life. He went away sad and lost out on an apostolic ministry. Now when I say pivotal, I mean simply this, of critical and crucial importance to the development and success of a person or a thing. It's very critical or important to your glorification. Now, how many can raise your hand and say, yep, I've been there, I've had pivotal moments in my life. Raise your hand if you recognize that you have. How many from time to time made a boneheaded decision at that time? The altar is open. Yes, it is. Amen. And I'll be the first one down there. Hallelujah. Y'all pray for me. <laughs> I wish I could tell you that every pivotal moment, the right decision was made. But how many know we can definitely improve in this in our lives? After, you know, going through this message last week, you know, it dawned on me that uh, you can't stick people on the edge of a cliff and leave them there. <laughs> what if we did? Everybody say, thank you, Pastor. Praise the Lord. <laughs> you know, what if we did blow it at a pivotal moment? What do we do? Is there a recovery from that? Well, I believe, according to the Word of God, there is recovery, even when we've blown it at the pivotal moment. But I want to remind you of this. It's not that some Christians are better than others. They're not. Turn to somebody and say, you're not better than me, and I'm not better than you. Then what's the difference? Why is somebody accelerating? Why is somebody growing in glorification? Why are they transforming into the image of Christ? And I seem to be at a standstill. It's just that some make better choices at pivotal moments than others. That's it. Turn to somebody again and say, you're not better than me. I'm not better than you. But you might make better choices than I do, particularly at pivotal moments. So I think about Gehazi in the Old Testament where he's told not to touch the, the leper's clothes or his, or his resources, his money, but he did it anyway. At that pivotal moment, he lost out with God. King Saul was rebuked by the prophet of God for taking the Amalekite cap, king captive and the animals captive instead of doing what he was called to do. At that moment, at that pivotal moment, he lost out. And maybe you and me today can say there have been times where God was clearly speaking and at that pivotal moment, I chose to go the wrong way. What do you do when you find yourself in that particular kind of situation? Why do we miss it at pivotal moments? That's where I want to start today. Why do we miss it at those pivotal moments? First of all, write this down, carnality. Being led of the flesh instead of being led of God. It's the tendency for all of us to get into a fit of flesh. And if we do that, we're never going to make the right choice at that pivotal moment. In fact, it'll push you away. Things like King Uzziah, when he was rebuked in the temple for offering incense, and instead of saying, you know, you fellows are right, I have no business being in here. I am king, but I am not prophet. I repent, and now I'm going to go pray and seek God's face. That's what he should have done. But the Bible says he turned to them and raged and became leprous. You see, a fit of flesh will not lead you to your glorification. A fit of flesh will not be the right response at that pivotal moment in time. And you say, well, you know, I've been doing this all my life and getting into fits of flesh and I seem to be okay. 
There come a time, though, when you'll cross the line, you won't find it so easy to come back across that line. So watch it given over to the carnal man. I mean, watch given over to your flesh. You say, well, I'm just an emotional person. I'm emotionally intelligent. If you were, then you wouldn't be yielding to the flesh all the time. You're emotional, yes, but not necessarily mature. Does that make sense? I tell you, if, if you get into the situation, everybody say, Pastor loves me. <laughs> if you repeatedly get into a situation where you allow the devil to manipulate emotionally your life and keep yielding to a fit of flesh, he will just continue to do that because it is a tool to keep you out of God's mess. Are you here? Carnality is one of the reasons that this happens. And each fit takes you further from the glory, not closer to it. Let me put it to you this way. Each fit of flesh takes you further away from his presence, his power, and his goodness. And don't say God's holding out on me. Because he is not. Just you cannot produce spiritual things with the flesh. The flesh, the Bible says, profits what? Nothing. Second thing, or reason that people get into a situation where they miss pivotal moments is they lack discernment to see how critical that juncture really was. We oftentimes don't realize that when God has given us command, it is, as Todd said, the key to our breakthrough. And not discerning that moment, how important it is to keep us from glorification and keep us from God's best. We have to understand at that moment that he is trying to tell us something. He's not trying to take something from you. He's not trying to embarrass Naaman. He's trying to heal Naaman. Are you here today? He's not trying to take from you when you tithe and you give. He's trying to get to you. But your mind has to be renewed to understand these things. Are you here today? Amen. Number three is wrong influences. You've got to be careful who you listen to these days about the things of God. Let me put it this way. Don't you let people talk you out of what they're too lazy or unbelieving to possess. Let me say it again. Don't you let somebody talk you out of the things that they're too lazy or unbelieving to possess. If they don't want them, fine, but don't let them talk you out of it. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Well, God doesn't heal anymore. Yes, he does. God doesn't prosper anymore. Yes, he does. God doesn't deliver anymore. Yes, he does. You're just too lazy and unbelieving to press in to get it. Don't criticize somebody for believing God's word. <laughs> Let me say it with a big smile on my face. Don't criticize people for believing the word of God. That's what it's there for. Hallelujah. But I tell you, if you listen to the wrong voice, when at that moment, when the pivotal moment comes, you'll make the wrong decision. You'll follow the wrong crowd. You'll listen to the doubt, fear, and unbelieving mongers, and you won't be walking in God's best, and you won't advance in your glorification. Number four, self-consciousness or pride, what people think about us. You'd be amazing how many times self-consciousness will actually block somebody from a pivotal you know, moment. They'll make the right decision sometimes, and oftentimes because they're so self-conscious or prideful, they won't do what they need to do. Then five is just apathy. There's a certain uh, you know, element, I think, in the body of Christ. They just don't care enough about the important things of God. They don't care enough about things like glorification. They don't care about the fact that Jesus shed his blood so you would be glorified. Amen. He paid the high price so you and I could walk in what God has for us. And we should care. Turn to somebody and say, we should care. We should care. You see, the stakes are very, very high and the time is, is, is nigh. We are literally at the last sliver of time. 
and we need to live, amen, as glorified as we possibly can and reach everybody we can, reach the unreached and tell the untold, because who knows, today could be the day. I don't know about you, but I'd be okay about closing the sermon in prayer and then all of a sudden the trumpet sound. Let me rephrase that. I wouldn't care if the trumpet sounded right now. That's fine with me. Just, wait, think about it. I've been preaching a long time. There's a lot of sermons. There's only one rapture of the church at the end times. Well, the dead in Christ arise first and then we which remain. Amen. There are multiple resurrections, but that event is special. Wouldn't that be okay? Yes. Hey, but Pastor, I got a pot roast in the pot. <laughs> That's okay. Somebody left behind is going to need that pot roast in the pot. So you fine. Just consider it a seed in Jesus' name. I just, I just bought a new car. You know, what am I going to do? Well, it'll be here when you get back in seven years. <laughs> Some of you are not going to think about that. I go, yeah, but who's going to drive it while I'm gone? I promise you, you won't care about your car, your house, your yard, your land, nothing at that day. And that needs to be the focus of every believer. People have been saying this for years, Pastor. Bless God, Jesus is coming soon. The rapture is coming soon. Jesus is coming soon. Well, guess what? The Bible prophesied people would mock about that. Just make sure you're not the mocker. Say it with me. He's coming soon. The Spirit and the bride say, Come. One of the final emphatic messages in the book of Revelation is what? Come. Amen. We've seen examples of people who missed it at a pivotal moment. And uh, you feel like you have here as well. Maybe even recently you felt like you've missed it at a pivotal moment. There are a lot of people in Scripture that have done the same thing. And God was able to, you know, redeem the situation. Out of God's love and compassion for the Ninevites, God raised up a prophet named Jonah to go. And whether because he wanted them to get God's judgment or he was afraid of them, they were terrorizing people. They were horrible people. But he wouldn't do it. He got swallowed by the fish. And everybody say this with me. Dr. Barclay says, the great fish was not judgment. It was transportation. <laughs> right back into the will of God. <laughs> And he, he consented at that point. And he goes to them and preaches 40 days and then it will be overturned. And of course, he doesn't expect this, but the entire nation from the king down repents. And for several hundred years, this nation has this, the judgment of God stayed off. In other words, he was able to come around. David came back from a horrible sin, from a horrible conspiracy to commit murder and to cover something up. Great consequences of that. But we find in Psalm 32 and Psalm 51, the heart of man who knows how to get back from a moment in time where he missed it. Right here? We won't explore those today, but if you're ever in a place where you feel like you missed God, that's a very good place to start. Psalm 32 and Psalm 51. Listen to the heart of the psalmist as he comes back to God. Think about Thomas. You know, Jesus is raised from the dead. The disciples are called to meet together and wait on the Lord. And guess who isn't there? How I many you know that is a missed opportunity, a very important, pivotal moment? And he's not there. Well, when they announced that they actually had this encounter with him, he says, I'm not going to believe unless what? Isn't it amazing how God knows how to minister to you where you are? I think the disciples would have been a lot more critical of him at that moment. 
But he said, unless I can see those scars, unless I can put my hand in that place where you were wounded, of course, Jesus ministers to him right where he is, and finally he believes. What does, what does Jesus say? You believe because you have seen. Blessed are they that what? Believe. believe and have not seen. This is where we often will say that you can't get Abraham's blessing with Thomas's faith. It's what? Believing that God is and that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. But guess what? Thomas got back. Turn to somebody and say he made it back. The sinner David made it back. The rebellious Jonah made it back. And the doubter Thomas made it back. And then there's Peter. <laughs> A whole series of sermons we could preach about your life. I mean Peter. <laughs> and after his great denial, he, he made it back. And this guy's a character. He follows the Lord. He gets the revelation that it's justification by faith. In other words, the rock of revelation is Jesus, his word of God. Um, that's how you get it. Blessed are you, Jesus said, because flesh and blood hadn't revealed to you that, you that I am the Christ. He's on the right track. Amen. But he's just as impetuous and sometimes makes a lot of mistakes like some of us do. In his zeal, he cut off Malchus's ear. Amen. Bragged about he would never deny the Lord, which he did. Amen. And every time I think about Malchus's ear going off, being lopped off and, and dropped into the ground, and then thinking about Jesus picking up that bloody thing and slapping it back on his head, and they still arrest him, that's a mystery to me. <laughs> I'd be like, I'd be like putting the sword down and you all take care of this because I'm not messing with this man. If this man can slap that ear back on and heal, what else can he do to us? Amen. <laughs> but he came back. And so in, in the goal today of, of not leaving you on a cliff where you've made a very bad choice at a pivotal moment in your life, how do you come back from a place where you made a terrible decision at a pivotal moment? God is good, isn't he, church? Write this down, and then I'm going to pray for folks that feel like you've missed it today. Is that okay? You know what? Just because you've missed it doesn't mean God's done with you. Just because you missed it doesn't mean God doesn't care about you or have a plan for your life. You may put yourself on a shelf. You may set yourself aside thinking nobody wants anything to do with you. You have nothing to offer them because you blew it. God still has a plan and purpose for your life. The gifts and the calling of God, the Bible says, are without repentance. Amen. And life can be strange. It can be challenging. It can be hard. It can do a number on you mentally, emotionally, in every which way, physically. I'm telling you, though, despite that, you missed it. God's not done with you. I said, God's not done with you. I said, God's not done with you. Look at your neighbor and tell him, God's not done with you. <laughs> Mark 3.16, the Bible says, of Simon Peter, and Simon, he surnamed Peter. It's significant that he was prophesying to him from the day one that you're a little reed, a piece of grass, and whenever the wind blows, you go this way. When the wind blows this way, you go that way. You're unstable, but one day you're going to be a rock. How many know what Jesus prophesies comes to pass? Do you know there's a prophetic word hanging over your life as well? Where is it? It's right here. Amen. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. 
the whole point today, and it's rare that pastor has a one-point sermon. <laughs> that was a good place to say, amen, praise the Lord, move along, move along, before he changes his mind. It's one point with three applications. <laughs> gotcha, didn't I? Gotcha. <laughs> the point is, you got saved by grace. You had to believe, and you access Romans 5.2 says that favor or that grace by faith. But I'm telling you that you can recover from a terrible choice at a pivotal moment by the grace of God today. It's sufficient, which means it's powerful. It's not void of power to operate in your life and do something amazing. First of all, grace to recognize. Recognize and admit that you missed it. You see, that should be obvious to everybody. Sometimes we don't realize how big a deal that was in God's economy. We don't realize how big that decision actually was when we're in the middle of that. Listen to what it says of Peter. Now, Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him and said, You, a two were with Jesus the Galilean. This is Matthew 26, verse 69. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you're talking about. And when he had gone out to the gateway, another servant girl saw him and said to those who were there, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. A little later the bystander came up and said to Peter, Surely you too are one of them, for even the way you talk gives you away. It's kind of like being from western Kentucky. Gives you, <laughs> gives you away. Amen. Moving right along, Pastor. Yes. Then he began to curse and swear. Okay, now it's getting good. Hallelujah. I do not know the man. Now, the actual swear words aren't in the text. <laughs> and neither are yours. Amen. I do not know the man, and immediately a rooster crowed. And Peter, remember the word which Jesus had said before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. At that moment, he realizes, he recognizes this was a pivotal moment. In spite of everything already I've been through, I blew it, and I blew it big time. But in moments like that, don't forget what Jesus said to him. Listen, he said, Simon, Satan hath desired to sift you as wheat, but I have what? I have prayed for you. And when what? And when you're restored, when you're reconverted, when you come back, do what? Encourage. Your brothers, encourage those that are going down this path as well. What does that tell you? It tells you that there's grace to recognize how important this thing is and realize your Lord and Savior is praying for you. He's ever interceding. You've got the intercession of the Holy Ghost. You have the intercession of the Lord Jesus Christ. How can you not get up and go again? But I fell. I fell hard. I did terrible things. I made mistakes. Yeah, the righteous fall seven times and do what? If I fall, I what? I shall arise. That needs to be your mindset. Nobody told you, and if somebody implied that to you, you got saved, then perfection was there. No, this is a process. But thank God you're in the process. And thank God you're not where you used to be. Turn to your neighbor and say, I know where you used to be. That's so true. You're not where you used to be. 
But the grace, first of all, is to recognize. Some of you have heard me tell my story about the little red basketballs. <laughs> and some of you have never heard that story, so you're in for a treat. <laughs> say, Pastor, I already heard it. Why are you going to hear it again? <laughs> Everybody say, grace to recognize. I was uh, in the eighth grade, Lincoln Junior High School, Carbondale, Illinois. I was part of a service club called Boys Honor Society. Everybody say honor. <laughs> that should have tipped me off right there. And they decided that uh, by they, I mean the, uh, you know, the faculty person in charge of this group decided we would raise some money selling these little red basketballs about that big with the name Lincoln Junior High School on them. And everybody was supposed to sell their allotment of these little red basketballs. Now, some of you have gotten to know me, you know that sales was not my thing. Every year for youth baseball, we'd have to go carry these little crates of chocolate bars. Anybody else been there and done that, Bob? Now, we all had to sell these things. <laughs> you go up cold calling somebody on their front door somewhere trying to sell these things. Everybody knows they were, they were delicious and what they were for, but it, it just terrified me. It petrified me. <laughs> that, that was not my calling. And it still isn't. Um, my brother James, on the other hand, could sell you anything under any circumstances and make you think it was your idea. <laughs> Everybody say basketballs. basketballs. The uh, marketing department from... McDonald's came to our town. I was about 10, James was about 12. And they were going to shoot a, 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 a custom-made you know, commercial right there called Fun in the Summer. It's going to have people doing, having hay fights and getting involved in the water, water skiing, swimming, all kinds of things you do in the, in the summer. And apparently the budget was low, so they wanted to stay in the same state. And they came to Southern Illinois at one of the older McDonald's there, and they did a casting call at a Ramada Inn where 1,500 kids showed up for about 17 spots. <laughs> and I thought, this should be fun. So they took us in this room with the vice president for marketing, the director of the spa, you know, a few other people, officials from McDonald's, and they took us in four at a time. How many know four at a time, 1,500 kids, that takes a long time to do it. And I don't remember where we were. We were kind of close to the line, but we walked in four at a time, I was absolutely petrified of these people. And we sit down, and he begins to, you know, pepper us with questions. And he looks at my brother, and he says, James, what's your favorite color? And James says, red, what's yours? <laughs> the very next words out of his mouth, James, do you have a bank account? He said, no, but I can get one. <laughs> He filmed that commercial. He was the first one they hired. He filmed that commercial, and it ran on, on like uh, after-school specials and on Saturday morning during cartoons. He would get up in the morning on Saturday morning with a notepad and, and write down every single time they ran that ad. And he would go, cha-ching, 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 cha-ching. <laughs> he is a salesperson. My dad's uh, research and development manager from the Olin Corporation in Illinois, James, was working at J.C. Penney. And um, first, uh, he was working out there where they used to have uh, gas pumps. Y'all remember those days? Yeah. 
and he was hired to, to pump gas. And that particular day, somebody did not show up to sell tires or, or audio equipment. And so the manager said, would you take this over for him? That day, he sold four or five sets of tires and, I don't know, two or three different audio systems. In them. And they were just so impressed, the manager put him inside to sell electronics when Penny's used to carry audio technica, you know, uh, you know, type of audio you know, equipment. Uh, my dad's manager goes in there, and he wants to buy an AM-FM radio. And he walks out with $2,000 worth of electronics. <laughs> uh, once he finished his marketing at SIE, he was hired by Bristol Scribs and Myers in, in Ohio, the youngest director, patient support director in the history of that company. That's just where his anointing lies. That, in fact, he is extremely funny. Everything I just told you about James, I am not. So the basketballs, I stuffed them in my locker. <laughs> One month goes by, two months goes by. Mr. Horse, who's the teacher, says, everybody give me a report on your basketballs. How many of you sold? Well, I've sold them all. I sold half of them. Mr. Hines, how many of you sold? <clears throat> uh, none. <laughs> well, you need to sell those basketballs. You need to sell those basketballs. We get towards the end of the school year, about a month out, and they have an election among the student body for most outstanding graduate in the eighth grade class, male and female. And uh, I was 4.0 student, you know, I was a nationally ranked swimmer, I was an Illinois state champion swimmer, and so I got a ton of votes. But one day, after not listening to Mr. Horse, everybody say, Boys Honor Society. Say it again, Boys Honor Society. Did you know the church is an honor society? A couple of weeks before graduation, the principal comes out on the play playground to find me. Now, how many know when the playground goes searching and the principal goes searching for you on the playground? It's probably not real good news. <laughs> and he pulled me aside, and this is what he said. He said, Art, he goes, I want you to take care of everything you're supposed to take care of, you know, because you have an awful lot to lose. In other words, he was telling me to do my part, what I promised to do, and that's all he said. He didn't give me any details, any kind of idea of what was going on. But on the day of graduation, that award fell to my best friend as I sat there recognizing what I had done. And I'm telling you today, that was for a little bitty trophy and some recognition and some little red basketballs. What you and I are dealing with today is eternity. Say it with me, eternity. eternity. And so I, I had that revelation that day. <laughs> you didn't sell your red basketballs. And the principal vetoed your election and gave it to the second highest vote getter. Not only he knew that, I knew that, and one other faculty member at the school knew that. But that was the recognition. Amen. It impacted my life. That if you're going to say something, if you're going to promise something, amen. What should you do to the best of your ability? And if you don't, then make good on it. Can I have a good amen? amen? As it were, though, my best friend who got the award, I got even in the end because there's a strange tradition at Carbondale Community High School that when the boys went into the eighth grade, they would tackle them and shave their heads bald. And I'm here to tell you that he got his head shaved and I had all my locks going into high school. Hallelujah. So, <laughs> grace Lord. <laughs> Everybody say grace, grace. to recognize. Grace. 
you first you've got to recognize that what you did was more important than you realized. Number two is grace to return. Repent and go back to the Lord. This one these powerful words in John 21, 15. But go tell the disciples and Peter and Peter. Go tell the disciples and Peter. He is going ahead of you into Galilee, and there you will see him just as he told you. The Bible says over in John 21, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon and Peter, Simon, son of John, uh, do you love me more than these? And of course, he asked him that in, in three different apparent ways. And he responded that he did feed my sheep, take care of my lambs. You know, in this story, even in your Bible, it may have a parenthetical statement above the parent. Jesus restores Simon Peter. Amen. In other words, there is grace for you to return. There's some in this building in your heart you need to return to him. He's not uh, you know, mad at you. He's not against you. If God be for you. Who can be against you? The devil entices us to miss it, and then he lambasts us with condemnation after we miss it. He hits us on all sides of that. But I want you to understand that when you sin, Jesus paid for it. He took your sin and he gave you his righteousness. And righteousness is the ability to stand in the presence of a holy God without any shame, amen, any condemnation, any guilt. And it's not pretend, it is real. Say it with me, I have his righteousness. Well, didn't I lose it when I missed that moment? When I didn't see it as a pivotal moment? Did I miss it? No, because it wasn't you that earned it in the first place. Your righteousness was and is a gift, and it's still there. You have to work on your holiness. Yeah, you can clap because it's an amazing gift that he gave us. Amen. He made us righteous. Glory to God. Grace to recognize, grace to return. Number three, grace to restart. Begin again without condemnation, guilt, or shame. In Acts chapter 3, Peter is involved in a great healing. In Acts chapter 4, he doesn't deny the Lord this time. Are you here? Everybody say recovering. recovering. From a pivotal moment. Scripture says in Acts 4, 8, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, everybody say, thank God for the Holy Ghost. He said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame, or being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. The stone you builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Not only is he not you know, blown off the Lord and denying him in front of strangers, these are the very people that crucified Christ and standing up to them. Why? Because he has grace to restart. And boy, did he restart. I'm telling you prophetically, God is talking to some people right now. Restart. Just get going again. You've been too long on the side. You've been too long in condemnation, too long thinking God didn't want anything to do with you. No, God still has something for you to do. But I'm damaged goods. We're all damaged goods. But I'm from a dysfunctional family, so? There's not a single family in this room that's not dysfunctional. Well, pastor, that offends me. You just proved what I said. You're dysfunctional. Anybody else want to talk up? 
Say, we're all from dysfunctional families. All that means is we're imperfect. And that lack of perfection affects all of us. That's why we love and have grace and we forgive. <laughs> wow, how Peter returned. He preached at Pentecost and 3,000 people were saved. How many are glad that he restarted? He healed the lame man at the temple gate beautiful. The power of God came out of him. The man wanted money. That day he got his whole life back. So powerful that people believed that if his shadow cast on them, they would be healed. And apparently it was happening. The people lined the streets hoping just that his shadow would be cast on him. Hallelujah. He raised Dorcas from the dead. He introduced the gospel to the Gentiles as well as the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He wrote two epistles featuring the lessons of his mentoring. Sounds like to me that God's glory, His manifest presence, power, and goodness was flowing in Peter's life after all, even though at a pivotal moment, he absolutely blew it. Don't tell me that God can't use somebody that's blown at a pivotal moment. Don't tell me with man's religion you're somehow disqualified. Do not be disqualified in your mind when God has qualified you. It is by grace that we recognize. Amen? It is by grace that we return. And it is by grace that we what? We restart. The only problem is just not getting up. Amen? There's a great resurrection day coming. But it's going to be preceded by a spiritual resurrection across the body of Christ. It's not a revival meeting. It's a move of the Holy Ghost. And He desires, as He did from the beginning, to do something in you and through you before you had that pivotal moment and you blew it. Regardless of whether it was you know, carnality or apathy or whatever it was, He can redeem that. I want you to stand to your feet and just begin to cry out to Him today.